You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hey guys, I'm so grateful to be chatting with you on the Enneagram and Marriage podcast today. I'm especially happy that we get to chat with Sam E. Greenberg. She is an Enneagram 5 and a sexpert. She does actually a lot of quantitative research for Enneagram lovers out there, including you and I. And more importantly to this episode, she is going to help us navigate through the waters of marriage and intimacy and our instincts. So that is fascinating stuff. I hope you're here for it all with me. I wanna just echo a couple of important reminders before we get started. First of all, if you don't know what the Enneagram instincts are, I think they're just every bit as important as type, perhaps even more because they lie a bit deeper within us. So Sam will go through them and you can also check out past episodes where we talk about the instincts in absolute depths, especially the episode with B. Chestnut. That's a great reviewer. Now, I also want to give you the reminder that when we're talking about the three instincts, we will be talking about how each are important and how you want to make sure to help a spouse who works within one of them primarily. So whether they're self-preserving or sexual or social, we're going to be giving tips about how to move with the spouse of that instinct. And that is very important if you want to feel safer together. You can't just change somebody's primary instinct. It's so deeply embedded. However, I do want to remind you before the episode that what we're really wanting to do is build balance within ourselves. So while you'll hear me later say you can't just balance, I do want to echo this for you that as you're approaching this topic, try to remember that we all have some of each of the instincts within us so that you really do learn how to hone your most primary instinct well and bring out the one that is repressed so that you are working with as many axles or bearings or parts of your body or whatever other analogies you like for yourself. You are much more than any mechanized system, but you are really complex. So make sure you're aware that you have these three domains and that each of them has a really good place in your life. You don't wanna do without any of them. And that goes for bedroom and non-bedroom behaviors and intimacy in marriage, because we want to make sure that you guys know how to take care of yourselves, know how to take care of each other, and know how to bring good things to the world too. So that is my hope for you today and for myself. I'm always growing with you and learning. And don't forget, above all, when you're looking to self-regulate, self-soothe, challenging yourself to lean into your spouse's instinct and to broaden your own instinct in your instinctual palate, 
then make sure you're taking those deep breaths with me and those pauses so that you can sit and stay and learn some self-soothing. So continue learning self-soothing. Go to our website for freebies if you need more tips. Go visit Sam E. Greenberg's info that we're leaving in the show notes and make sure that you guys are allowing yourselves the space and the time to bring change with intention because you can't just say, oh, I found out what my primary instinct was and I'm running from it now. You need that. It has helped you to survive. But sometimes when you're overdoing, it's nice to bring in the other ones or even just the other one if you're already doing two of them really well. So just enjoy that little piece of knowledge as you bring this whole conversation in together with us. We have a lot of fun this episode. So I hope you have that fun with us because the sexual nature of a relationship is an important piece and we don't want to miss it. So we're so glad somebody who is sexually dominant actually in this center is chatting with us today about this important area. And I love that for us because then we get somebody who's already good at this area who can really balance us all out even a bit more. So as you work to balance your instincts, remember these main goals of being partners in play, not one up or one down like a dominant and a submissive, but truly two adults playing and just exploring and having relaxed, fun time together and intimate and safe. And that's going to look different for each of you. But I want you to lean in there and then asking each other as you're shifting, like, oh my gosh, like what are our rules for play so that we can play without worry, so that we can play without fear of losing ourselves socially or one-to-one or losing ourselves in that self-preserving level. So be asking yourself these important questions and chatting about them together. And if you've had a lot of trust breach in your relationship, take it baby step by baby step. You can't start at the top rung. You have to work your way up. So build trust if it's not there little by little. If it is there, you can step right into all these tips. I want you to know I believe in you for doing this work. I'm very excited for you. Okay, let's chat with her. Thank you, Sam, so much for joining me on the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. We are so glad to have you. You are, I love your title as a sexpert. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your research? Sure. Um, so I'm Sam E. Greenberg. I'm a sexuality researcher and an Enneagram researcher. Mm-hmm. I'm also a sexuality and Enneagram coach and a relationship coach. Mm-hmm. So my most recent study is a large research project on patterns of sexual desire and expression and how they differ across Enneagram type and across dominant instinct. Wow. That is literally so awesome. And to be (laughs) honest, when I asked you to talk about the instincts with sex, I did not know that was your specified area of research. Yes. This is one of them. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, yes. And I love how you said one of them because you're an Enneagram five, right? Yes. (laughs) So you've got multiple awesome areas of research, I bet, in this and many areas. I guess so. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, great. Thank you so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed getting to hear you elsewhere. And I just really think that you come with fresh tips. And I think that's exactly what our audience is looking for. And you're on Instagram too, right? 
Yes. I'm at Enneagasm, E-N-N-E-A <laughs> underscore G-A-S-M. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. That's perfect. So people can be following along with your account right while they're listening. But because we're talking instincts and this is your area of study, before we talk and get into the instincts, I just want to ask you a quick question. Sure. What made you, what was one of the reasons you thought this would be a great topic to study deeper? Did you just love the instincts? Oh, that's a great question. So actually my research is primarily on type, but I did study Mm -hmm. the instincts as well in the same study. And the reason I studied this topic overall is because I had heard when I was going to go for my PhD, I had heard that you should study something that you never get tired of talking about. Mm. And I never get tired of talking about the Enneagram and I (laughs) never get tired of talking about sex. Um, And I get tired of talking in general very easily because I'm a five. So (laughs) um, basically just an intersection of my passions and um, no real notable work had been done on it. um, Mm -hmm. You know, when I first started my PhD and now uh, me and some colleagues are working all, all at the same time on it. Oh my gosh. That's so comforting to hear that there's others joining you in the research and loving hearing that it's been untapped so that we can really see what are the first fruits of this. So that is so exciting. And I love that you found something that the well is endless, that you can continue to be interested in it and revived by it. Yeah. Thank you. It's so fun. Awesome. Well, why don't we review the three instincts and help you to understand, um, our audience to understand what, what they are just as a quick review, if they haven't heard other episodes, would you mind? Of course. No, I'd love to. So we'll dive into how they um, interrelate with relationships and sex, but just as an overview, Mm -hmm. there's the three main instincts and any type can be any instinct. So if you're a type seven, you could be any of the three instincts. If you're a type six, you could be any of the three instincts. And the three instincts are Mm self-preservation, sexual, and social. Mm -hmm. So again, you could be self-press seven, you could be a social two, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So there's 27 combinations of type and instinct. Um, Mm -hmm. And what each of them are briefly. So the self-press instinct, the self-preservation instinct is about monitoring the physical state of the body, the physical needs of the body. Mm-hmm. what does the body need in this moment and how do I provide it? So these are people who are very focused on that. It's the basic survival drive. How do I support myself um, materially, financially, my biological needs in terms of food, sleep, where is my energy invested and mm-hmm. choosing that very carefully. Mm-hmm. So the sort of like stereotype of self-pres people are, this is like the people who have the blanket before they're cold, like the umbrella before it rains. Mm-hmm. They always have the snacks and like a pen. If you need a pen, um, they're always prepared. And this is because they're really attuned to the needs of themselves, their own body. Mm-hmm. And I'm laughing because my audience knows I'm self-pres and I have two apples next to me on my left <laughs> and a cup of tea on my right. <laughs> so We are covered. So that's funny because it can sometimes go a little bit against what the instinct, what the type is usually like. So, you know, sevens are kind of like, you know, a little bit of a basket case usually and not so prepared, but because you have that self-pres dominant, you are a little bit more focused on those things than a different seven would be. 
Right. And my gluttony can come out in this area. Like, why are there two apples? (laughs) You only need one. I totally get that. So then the sexual instinct, um, this is about cultivating attraction and desire from other people. Um, Mm -hmm. It's about dissolving psychological boundaries. Mm. Um, sexual dominant people are very anti-stagnation. So they're about movement. Where's the movement? Where's the intrigue? Where's the sort of juice of this interaction of the situation? Mm. Often sexual dominants have a noticeable intensity or charisma. Mm-hmm. They like to connect usually very intensely, um, especially one-on-one and go right into deep topics and conversation So, um, the stereotype of these people would be like, they wear bright colors. They are over sharers sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, quite charismatic, you know, quite often, you know, attractive and interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but then some of the, uh, the other two people of the other two instincts will say, they make me want to take like a step back sometimes (laughs) a little bit too much. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. So really helps to have another person sharing about this because you're giving us some new adjectives and reminders. And I love how you even said, if they're of the other instincts, they might be a bit taken aback by this big presentation. Right. So I'm a sexual five, I'm a sexual Mm -hmm. dominant. And, um, I was shocked to learn that other people, (laughs) um, are taken aback by sexual (laughs) dominance, but Apparently they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're a five. So you have that balancing you, right. but they're probably not. Exactly. So um, we don't need to get into this whole thing, but there's counter types. So for each type, um, certain instincts go against the normal behavior of the type. So for a five, very reserved, very internalized, a sexual five is the counter type. So a sexual five you'll see is a little bit more um, intense and out, not outgoing, but, um, puts energy out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So this, um, when you get to type in combination with instinct, it's sort of a rich area. Mm -hmm. And then, um, Mm -hmm. finally the social instinct. So the social instinct is about how you exist in interconnection with others. Mm -hmm. It's about belonging, social belonging, connection, community, forming and maintaining relationships, social bonds. Mm -hmm. Um, These people, people of dominant social instinct might, may put aside their own interests for the sake of the group or for the sake of the relationship. Mm -hmm. These folks are are kind of the true empathetics um, of the instincts. They're, um, they do mirroring really well, empathy really well, relationality really well. Um, they're super concerned with, you know, is everyone in the group connected? Am I connected? And is everyone else connected? So Mm. the stereotype here, these people are usually very approachable, um, but they're the one at the parties making sure everyone is having fun, (laughs) not in like a seven way of like (laughs) everybody get up and dance right now, but like, yeah. Hey, how are you feeling? Are you doing okay? Do you need anything? You know? They're the people who at the meeting, who's making sure everyone's voice is heard. You know, they're really concerned with um, how everyone is doing, not just them or their intimates. 
Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. And I really like you reminding us that socials are empathic people. I think we can forget that sometimes when we're thinking about them as being good in a group, but it's a beautiful reminder to us that if you have that as a lead or you're with somebody as a lead here, like this, this is a very redeeming quality of the social subtype, because I know they all have their strengths and areas of weakness. Yes. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you because now everybody has a bit of a a reminder, a refresher. And as we talk about these three instincts in terms of just having intimacy and, and sexual experiences, I would imagine they all come at this from a different angle. Yes. You're absolutely right about that. And yeah, let me just say a note, which is that I first set out to study type and sex and I have, you know, other podcasts and stuff about that. But um, this area emerged in both my research and my colleague Frederick's research that I'll tell you, tell you about too, um, as being really important, like much more important than we thought. Hmm. So it's sort of what I'm interested in delving into now that um, it turns out that instinct has a huge impact on sexuality behavior, maybe even more than type does. Oh my gosh. I totally believe that because in marriage and in the work with couples, I find that this is true in general as well. So I love hearing you say this is happening in you and Frederick's research And is this Frederick Cohn by any chance? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm Facebook friends with him. So I didn't even know that. (laughs) Yeah. So um, him and my other colleague, Valerie, have done um, interviews and focus groups, you know, qualitative research on this. And my research is mostly at this point, quantitative, meaning, Mm. you know, large sample statistics kind of thing. So Mm. kind of all together, we're starting to get a really good picture emerging. Oh my gosh. That's the absolute best when you can get qualitative and quantitative. And I love that you guys are doing both. So that makes me so happy. And then would you actually start us with self-prez because that way we can keep with the order. That would be so perfect. Yeah. That sounds good to me too. Okay. So, um, an overview of self-prez dominant people and sex. So Mm -hmm. for self-prez people, basic needs are greater than sex. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you can, you remember those greater than symbols from, <laughs> yes. from school. So yes. basic needs greater than sex. Um, the nuance of this is some self-pressed people consider sex a basic need and some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, you're not going to have self-pressed people who want to have sex when they're hungry when they're sleepy, when they don't feel well, Mm -hmm. um, because the body's integrity comes first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think when you know the research as a self-pres and you're like, okay, intimacy is good for the body. It might help you to come forward. Um, but I only say that because I'm a self-pres type. (laughs) And so I've done that self-talk before. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, for some self-pressed people, they consider, you know, sexual gratification to be one of their biological needs. But -hmm. in this case, sometimes they are okay taking care of that with masturbation rather than with intimacy. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. although intimacy is good for the body, sometimes self-pressed people can just be like, oh, I just need to take care of this need and I'll take care of it myself because that's faster and easier. Mm -hmm. So you can get more, more of that. Um, 
these people are unlikely to idealize sex. Um, Mm-hmm. And they tend not to be bothered by sexual routine. Like if, if you've fallen into kind of the, having the same kind of sex mm-hmm. regularly, um, self-pres people would be the least bothered by that. Oh my gosh. That is so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense too, because it's like, Hey, this works. Yeah, <laughs> this exactly. Part of the routine. This is self-care. Um, relatedly tend to have a higher tolerance for sexual dry spells. That doesn't mean that they like them, but they tend to have a higher tolerance for them than people of the other two instincts Mm -hmm. Um, and not feel like, oh, if we're not having sex, our relationship's going to fall apart, which I'll get to with the sexual (laughs) people. But um, Mm yeah, they have a higher tolerance for that. And they do not necessarily have a lower sex drive. That's important to say, because you can get that impression from what mm-hmm. I'm saying and even from their actions, but they, it's not the case. Mm-hmm. There's no instinct that has necessarily exactly a higher sex drive or lower sex drive, although sexuals report having more desire. So not necessarily lower sex drive, but very aware that of the output of energy that sex requires. So mm-hmm. self-pressed people may be more reluctant to have sex if they don't feel like they have the energy to give to it. Mm-hmm. That totally resonates and makes sense. And I also think that it's nice for spouses to hear this because like you're already alluding to with the sexual spouse, with the self-pres or anybody, they might not understand this. A social might not understand this. And so that way they can see how much energy is available and that way they don't just miss one another. Right. Right. And um, a big thing is that people think partners of self-pres people, if they're not self-pres themselves, they think that their self-pres partner's not into them. Mm. They think like, they don't want me. They're not interested in sex. And that's usually not the case. It's more that they have like other things on their mind or like other things that are a little bit of a higher priority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also can be kind of turned off if they're with someone who needs tons of, of, foreplay tons of affection like a huge output of energy in order to have sex they mm. may be like uh i get it but i don't want to put <laughs> like put that energy out right now mm-hmm. yeah totally because they're basing everything like you said on will i be replenished will i be refreshed enough for this or for that and like you're saying if somebody needs a lot they may feel like that's too much for me to give i won't be able to survive if i give that much right And, um, these people can also be more cautious and kind of squeamish, um, about sexuality. Like if you're talking about outside of a marriage, these would be people who are really worried about STIs and stuff. Um, because they're just, again, they want to protect the integrity of the body. (laughs) A hundred percent. Totally get that. So in terms of how these instincts relate to like human survival, the self-pres instinct is um, like the resource acquisition and maintenance instinct. Mm -hmm. So if you think of all three instincts have existed throughout the history of humans, Mm -hmm. um, we need like the hunter-gatherer instinct, we need the the mating instinct, and then we need the social cohesion instinct. So Mm -hmm. this stuff really plays in with sex. It's like, if you're the hunter gatherer instinct, you will definitely like to have sex after you've hunt hunted and gathered. <laughs> yes. 
and you have enough and you feel confident, like we're going to survive the winter kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, this is good. This is juicy. Just to hear you say it like that. I love how you just distinguish the three areas for evolutionary survival. Like that's huge. And I know people are now thinking, okay, like now I can look at this a little differently. So tell us more. Okay. Um, so I want to give just some kind of advice for people who are partnered with the self-press dominant person. Perfect. Um, and then we can move on to the other ones, but so sort of how to get it on with the self-press person. <laughs> yeah. One, and most importantly, like make sure all their basic needs are, are met first, mm -hmm. especially sleep. And like, if you have to do some self-sacrifice to make this happen, do it. I mean, if you have young kids or whatever, and the person's sleep deprived, they're not going to be into it. So mm -hmm. like get them some sleep, make sure that they are feeling good. They're fed a, a lot of self-pressed people want the house to be pretty clean, organized, like chores are done. Mm -hmm. Kids are in bed, you know, everything's taken care of. And then they can really connect with that sexuality. Mm. Mm. I love that. And I really love that for our self-pres. I just love the way that you didn't say, we just need to balance all three instincts in this area. It's like, your goal is let's get it on, you know? So <laughs> we do want to balance those instincts, but in this moment, we just want to get it on. <laughs> so yeah, I'm closeness. <laughs> I mean, let's all evolve. And we know that we have all three of them in us and we can yes. balance them, but like, you probably want to have sex before you've enlighten become enlightened. Right. So <laughs> this is like a little hack that you can do to get there. Um, mm -hmm. another tip right. would be choose a time when they feel relaxed, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and again, that might be when everything's done or a certain time of day that they feel more awake, you know, their circ circadian rhythms are very important to them. Mm -hmm. Then you want to keep it straightforward. Um, mm -hmm. if you are someone who can just like get to the point and then get to the point, um, mm -hmm. and show them you're interested in them sexually, but without pressure. So self-pres people respond really poorly to sexual pressure. If you kind of are going to them being like, oh, we're never having sex. Like we have to have sex. They'll, that'll feel like another additional burden. Mm -hmm on all of their biophysiological burdens that they already have. So, you know, show them you're interested, but don't put pressure on them. Mm, yeah. That is so comforting for us to hear. You know, you want to connect as intimately as possible in this, as we've been covering all month. And this is such a nice way for them to come and meet that self-pres right where they are. And also don't take it personally. I think it's really hard, especially for sexual dominant people partnered mm -hmm. with self-pres dominant, don't take it personally that it seems like they're not as into sex as you are. Mm -hmm. Um, again, that may not be the case. It's just that their approach is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Because we could see that another variation of self-pres might be that they're like, I do want it. And it makes me feel like, like I said, like I'm preserved when we know, I know we're having sex because it gets our blood flow going and I feel safe and secure when I know we're having great sex. So mm -hmm. definitely don't let it discourage you, but definitely do understand that the energy is very important. And for me, it's even also the mental clearing of space with all of the different plates that we're holding as self-pres types 
to be able to say, Hey, there's 15 minutes beforehand for one of us to read or take a bath just to clear our minds. So that's also a good reminder for self-pres spouses to give them just a bit of mental space. Right. That's really a good point. And I think Frederick talks about, you know, like have a shower because mm-hmm. self-pres people also are very into hygiene usually. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So everyone take a shower, you know, like prepare the the environment in that way. And that'll kind of make them more comfortable too. Oh yes. And a shower between sex, because I tell my husband, don't even think about coming near me if you haven't had a shower between. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's really actually a great tip that I wouldn't have even thought of. Thank you. That's hilarious. Cause that, ne- I mean, I'm sexual dominant. Like that never would have occurred to me, but I, like, again, self-presence is a little squeamish about body fluids. Like they're just they're yeah, not into it. We are. We're like a little bit more like my, and plus my husband's a one. And I talk a lot about the ways we rub off on each other. And I know that's a hilarious <laughs> thing to say on this episode. Um, but I really do, um, just, I have been spoiled in that way. And that's the leaning I have now is toward that cleanliness because he's a one also anyway. So he probably wouldn't even have approached me without a shower. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. (laughs) But I love that because you're like, yeah, we're going to get into the sexual type and like, they're not thinking this way. Right. I never would have (laughs) ever, ever thought of that. Um, Which I love. Yeah. So sexual, let's go back to the evolutionary perspective. So the sexual instinct is the the mating instinct, like the reproductive instinct. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, we need hunter gatherer, we need Mm -hmm. mating and we need social cohesion for the human species to survive. And that's how we survive all three. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like the reproductive instinct doesn't actually make a lot of sense in terms of like, let's make lots of babies and make our lives really hard taking care of them. Um, but we need, especially <laughs> when it was harder to survive, we needed a lot of people doing that. Mm-hmm. So this, because sexual dominance have this like break down boundaries, merge completely, we become one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the instinct that had to do with like mating and, and reproduction. Mm-hmm. So totally. these people are passionate and intense um, with sexuality, tend to mm-hmm. attract partners easily mm-hmm. and attract people to them easily. Mm-hmm. And they have like a oftentimes more overt sexuality or even like a leaky sexual energy mm-hmm. um, to where they just seem kind of more sexual when you mm-hmm. meet them. Um So talking a little bit about my research on this in terms of the quantitative research says, it says that sexual dominant people, they report having higher desire for dyadic sex, meaning not overall sexual desire, including masturbation, but specifically Mm -hmm. for, for mating for being with someone, Mm -hmm. they report higher desire than the other two. Um, they report, you know, that they're more sexually assertive, meaning they're more comfortable communicating about sex Mm -hmm. and they actually engage with sexually explicit materials more and they cannot comfortably go very long without sex, sexual contact Mm -hmm. compared to the other two. Mm -hmm. And this, these results were really strong results, like in statistics. Um, I won't go into like the bore people with what a no, we're is, not but it's like, bored. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's extremely robust statistical result, meaning like 
Wow. There's basically no, no chance that it, it happened by chance in the data. So sexual dominant people have a really discernible statistical pattern of being different Mm -hmm. than both social and self-pres. How fascinating. Um, These people, it's about the desire to merge and dissolve boundaries and they are not squeamish, like to become one fluids are fine. You know, like (laughs) yes. Just merge everything. <laughs> yes, totally. Which by the way, self-pres are more sexually dominant, which you probably have done this in your studies, but I love Catherine Favre's real research to tell us that we shift out of our typical patterns when we're first dating and mating. Oh yes. That's a good point too. Yes. So we can trick people. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm really like this, but you don't mean to, you just project more sexual energy when you're first finding somebody. So people get confused by, and there's so many reasons why that, as we both know, changes research wise, but I love you saying this because it's fascinating for those who don't just have this presentation at the beginning, but keep going with this to see this is very different. That makes me think about if a self-pres and a sexual person met and at the beginning they were both equally into sex mm-hmm. and they both might have the mistaken notion that like the sexual person would think the self-pres person would always stay like that. Oh yeah. That's what happens. Absolutely. And the self-pres person probably thinks the sexual person will chill out mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. neither of them do that. <laughs> Correct. Yes. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. But yeah, the sexual usually presents a bit more socially. And this is good because the sexual at the beginning really tries to look within a group to see who's going to be the one, you know, the one they can merge with. So luckily they, I think probably do usually find somebody who has the best chances for merging. That's the thing too. Um, and thanks for mentioning that. Cause uh, something I say about sexual dominance is that they have like a radar. Oh, okay. And the radar is in any given new situation, I'm going to find the, that person that I want to merge with. And it can be, you know, someone they're not sexually attracted to just, but they just want to dissolve boundaries in general. Oh, wow. But I think you're right to say <gasps> that it is about chemistry and, you know, we we can see in biological perspectives that whoever you have more chemistry with, you probably make better offspring with. Mm. Wow. So, so there that comes back in like the evolutionary perspective of sexual dominance are really concerned with chemistry. And then chemistry is what helps us make good babies, basically. Fascinating. Oh my gosh. That is so cool. I've heard both social dominance and self-pres dominance say that they find chemistry (laughs) off-putting. Oh, wow. Okay. I love chemistry. Um, But I think that that's something that over time may shift if I'm tired, which totally (laughs) makes sense to your point. Like I'd be like, I know we have a great chemistry, but right now I just want to read my book. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. just the idea of like falling in love for sexual um, is like, exactly what they want to be doing. That's the exact state they want to be in. Whereas for the other two, it, it feels like, okay, I'm a little bit more out of control than I like. Mm -hmm. That's not that I I think those other two don't like being in love or something, but, um, I think it's a little bit less of a comfort with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like coming home to the sexual subtype. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. So how to get it on with a sexual dominant? Mm-hmm. Um, a, it's probably not that hard, but um, <laughs> yeah, but it can be, you know, if they think you're not into them, um, that's a huge turn off if they think, you know, you don't want to do it and you're just doing it for them. Mm, that's yeah. a huge turn off. So sense. you want to do, you know, direct come ons, like I want to have sex with you, you know, like really direct, um, lots of eye contact, tell them how obsessed you are with them, mm. you know, emphasize merging, match their intensity, just like really bring real desire to them because um, they're super sensitive to if you're sort of like faking it mm. and that's going to make wow. them feel terrible and then they're not going to want to have sex. Right. And they're, they're just like, it sounds like you can speak to this better than me, but like, I really do want to merge with you. And if you're not here, then I'm sorry, I'm not going to continue to be vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. Mm, Which totally makes sense. Yeah. So we'll talk about social for them. It's very different. They they're happy to have sex for the sake of the, the relationship or for the sake of the partner, but for a sexual dominant, they can tell that's why you're doing it. It's just like, it feels really bad to them. Hmm. Okay. So making sure that we're not just having sex to kind of check a box, but to really say like, I will wait rather than try to pretend to merge. Right. Well, you can't pretend they'll know. So (laughs) like, you know, bring it to them when you really are ready to meet them in that place. And then it'll be probably a beautiful experience. Hmm. That's awesome. Okay. That's a great thing to know. And if that person says, Hey, I'm lacking energy right now, but, um, maybe we could take a quick rest and then we can, or let's say it's a social person. I'm, you know, I have to finish this visit, but now I'm ready. Do you think that they are usually amenable to just being like, Hey, I can shift a little bit. Or is it like, no, the passion must happen now or never. Um, it's a little bit more like the second one, <laughs> okay. but it depends on the level of development okay. of the person. So I think, you know, a little bit less healthy person mm-hmm. would, would be like, I'm just rejected. And now I'm, I'm out of the mood. Mm-hmm. I think a more developed person, as long as you sort of emphasize that you do really want to merge and you're going to get there, mm-hmm. um, would, that would probably work for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is beautiful. And I think that's why we all need this instinct too. And we all have this instinct too, because we really do want to become one. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that we're all that way. So that's the good news for the sexual subtypes listening that we really do want that. It's just, um, you are the lead here. So it's good to hear how we can really support you in this way. So thank you. That's so helpful. Great. Um, so the social instinct, um, sex is about bonding. Okay. It's about, but not in the same way, not merging, but bonding, um, reassurance of relationship. It's sex is reciprocal. It's about reciprocity, like give and take. I'm kind of sacrificing myself to give to you. You sacrifice yourself to give to me, um, And sex is a social activity. Mm. It's a way of communicating, a way of talking. Um, Evolutionarily, we have the bonding instinct. So, you know, you can see like in primates, 
use sex to diffuse tension and conflict, you know, in um, tribes or historically when it wasn't so much about monogamy, like sex was used to create social bonds. Mm -hmm. So the instinct is to preserve the group. These are actually the least sexually jealous people of of the three Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. because they, again, it's about, it's about the group. So if like someone's flirting with my partner, it's not a threat to me. It's just showing me that like, I have chosen someone valuable. And so Mm -hmm. other people see that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that's huge. And I have noticed that being married to a social type. So it really makes sense. And even just as you speak about cultures, when you think about the dowry given, like there's a lot of, like you said, clout to this whole idea of you're making the tribe safe when you bring people together. Mm-hmm. Mm, very interesting. And of course, if they see their spouse flirting with somebody else, they don't usually like that, like that from my experience. They just, if somebody else is flirting. Yeah, that's a great point too. So, because if their partner is flirting with someone else, that threatens the social bond that they have together. Mm-hmm. But if someone else is flirting with their partner, it actually sort of reinforces the social bond to them. <laughs> right. They're like, I picked well. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's really what they think. So, these people are big on catering to the needs of the partner. They may happily provide sex when not in the mood if the other person wants it and they don't do that begrudgingly. Like it's really a nice thing for them. Mm -hmm. Neither self-pres nor sexual people really do that. Mm. And self-pres and sexual are a bit more self-referencing with sexually. Like there is more about their experience, whereas social it's about other, the other person's experience at least as much as their own. Hmm. And I really like you clarifying that because I think we talk about in culture a lot, of course, this is nobody's fault, but we just often normalize one experience versus this variety that we're sharing on today's show. So I'm so grateful for you because people normally just say everybody wants their partner's satisfaction more than their own, especially I hear men, but not all men are the social subtype. So this is not always true, right? Oh yeah, that's definitely not true. And also in my, <laughs> um, in my research, I also looked at like sexual selfishness mm. and, um, for example, sevens, no offense, are, no, the, most, okay. are the most sexually selfish. Mm. Um, and for example, like twos are the least sexually selfish. So, mm-hmm. and what that means is like my partner's pleasure may be important, but it's not more important than my own. Mm. So you see with, self-pres and sexual, it's more like that with social, their partner's pleasure is probably more important than their own. But I don't want to make it sound like social people are like saints and the other two aren't. It's like their ple- the partner's pleasure is more important than their own because that gives them something that gives them the sense of reassurance mm-hmm. of the relationship of the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not all selfish or all not selfish. No. It's just that their yeah. orientation is different. Right. It's a bit more of the social exchange theory. You give me this, I give you that. And we could kind of put morals on top of this or not and say people that have a different view on life of giving selflessly, or we could put the male-female layering on and say females are a bit more likely to be givers. 
But I think that it's helpful to do the Enneagram layer. So you can look at your life and say, Hey, if I'm a two, am I being a bit more too masochistic? Or if I'm being a seven, am I a bit too aggressive? Which I've talked a lot about in this show, how I've had to learn that in my early years to be more patient and loving in the sexual arena. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's huge to do this Enneagram. Thank you. Cause I wanted to do a little bit of type by type. Okay. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, yeah, not to overwhelm, but at least within these, I love how you're giving us little pieces. Yeah. As you can imagine, if there's 27 combinations, <laughs> right. like, right. we can't. very long podcast. No, and we can't do that as a self pres me and as a five you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but just to like wrap up on social. So these are incidentally also people who may strongly have more of a sexual identity, like linking themselves with a group. So if they're, you know, whatever their sexual identity maybe is gay or lesbian or whatever, Mm -hmm. they're probably more likely than the other two to be like sort of over identifying with that Mm. because that makes them feel connected to a group based on their sexual identity. That's fascinating. So whether they're gay, straight, wherever they, if they're somebody who's into whatever sexual area, they're going to want to be socially identified. Yes, exactly. Wow. That is so helpful to hear because people really do want to know how do I show up for my family, my friends, my neighbors. And it just reminds you when people are speaking about this issue or that issue, it matters to them because they feel safe in a group that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's huge. So how to get it on with the social dominant, Mm -hmm. um, adapt to their needs, their sexual needs, because they're already adapting to yours. Mm. And um, if you're not a social dominant yourself, that's going to mean a lot to them. If you start to reciprocate. They're already like anticipating your feelings, anticipating what you're going to want and try and giving it to you. So try doing that back for them. Yeah. Um, focus on how sex supports the relationship. So if like you want to have sex with them, like, you know, it's about bonding for them. So emphasize that you want to bond, um, communicate very clearly your desires, exactly what you want, like how you like things, because all they want to do is do that. But if you're not communicating clearly, they'll get confused mm-hmm. and then, um, express your pleasure. Like if they're bringing you pleasure, express it. Everyone should do this. Cause this is just nice, but, <laughs> yeah. um, express your pleasure to a social, because that's what really kind of does it for them in terms of feeling connected. Mm. Oh my gosh. That's so helpful to hear. And I know so many people that I've talked to, um, especially women don't feel that permission to be expressive. And I think that that's really helpful to be reminded of that. This is truly, really blesses your partner for you to, uh, to share this, especially if they're social. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That's so helpful. And I know it's a good word for me being married to a social too. And I can tell everybody out there, she has nailed it, but I do (laughs) once again, a funny double entendre, (laughs) but I was going to ask you what, if there's even a clarification here between the sexual and the social, um, I'm thinking about, I'm having a little bit of trouble differentiating between the merging and the bonding. And if there's any way to distinguish that, or if they're about the same thing. 
Yes, there is. Um, that's a great question. So the most helpful way that I've ever had this explained to me is that social people have a boundary. Okay. Um, like sort of an energetic boundary, a bubble Mm -hmm. and they want their bubbles to touch (laughs) and overlap. Mm -hmm. Whereas sexual wants no bubble to exist. (laughs) That is a good distinction. And self-pressed people do tend to have a bubble and not want to touch the bubble (laughs) with anyone else. So um, it's a different level of emerging. Mm -hmm. Like it's like social people are more self-contained and they just want to like, oh, I'm going to come and touch your bubble and say hi to you and meet you. And we're going to get to know each other better and feel into what each other likes. Um, Whereas sexual is like, we we're so dissolved. We don't even have egos anymore. There's no me and you. We're just like floating in the ether of merged. (laughs) Right. Oh, I love that. And I love that we also are aware of the fact that these types shift a little bit, whereas your type doesn't shift. I really moved from social to self-pres after a lot of great loss in my life. And I also, as we were talking about early dating years presented as very sexual. And I'm sure that although we've maintained our, our main stance in a lot of ways through our life, it's fun to be able to say, maybe I can learn from today's talk with Sam and try to find this part of myself because I just know listeners are going, I remember when I was like that. And yeah, I'm a little bit like that, even though that's not their dominant instinct. Mm Mm-hmm. There's different theories about sort of how this works, but um, one of them is that you have like a dominant one and the the second one that's supporting that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's there's a theory about, you know, often we have a sort of more repressed one of the three. Mm -hmm. And if you um, subscribe to that, then you can imagine if you're like a self-pres repressed person with a self-pres dominant person, these, some of these differences might be more pronounced. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys could even do some exploring as to why that's repressed or just even baby stepping your way into bringing that one out for the most dynamic sexual experience ever. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Oh my gosh. This has been so helpful, Sam. I know that it's getting people's minds just in a new direction. So helpful. I'm so glad. Yes. Thank you. And where can our audience continue to hear about your research? We just love learning about it. Um, probably the best place is follow me on Instagram at, um, at any agasm E N N E A underscore G A S M. But also on my website is Enneagram so website and Instagram are the two best spots. And we can also yeah. follow you around on various podcasts too. If we go yes. to your page, you probably tell us when you're on podcasts. Yeah. On both places. Oh, thank you. Thank you for investing yourself into uh, this fascinating topic because it's already making a difference. I'm serious. This is oh, awesome. Great. I'm so glad. Yes. Thank you so much, Sam. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. 
I told you that was going to be a fun episode. I'm so grateful for Sam's time. I'm so grateful for your time and what you're investing in your relationship. Congratulations to you. That is huge. I hope it will take flight and you will have even more intimate depths with your beloved. I also hope you'll let me know if you have other ideas for Sam. She is open to coming on the podcast again. We are so glad we had time with her today and especially with you too. Have a wonderful week and we will talk to you soon. Catch us for the Wednesday series this week. We're talking about Enneagram 9 on our short and our subscriber series as well. Take care guys. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you loved today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as EnneagramAndMarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.